Today, we are in week five of our series, God Will Show Up. This is our January and February uh, series on revival because we believe this city needs it. We believe that this city, more than it needs more money or more buildings or, or more businesses and more jobs, which are not bad things, the most important thing this city needs is Jesus. That's what our world needs now. In week one, we talked about how to be hungry for God, like to actually be hungry for God. Have you ever had a moment in your life where you were so hungry that you would eat anything? Okay, I want you to think about the moment where, where you just thought, I would eat anything right now because I'm so hungry. I heard this story the other day. It was about three sons, and they left their home, and they had a great mother, and they all went out and prospered. They got together and they're like, we need to buy mom something nice. Okay, so the oldest son, he buys his mom a big house. The second son buys his mom a really nice car. The third son thinks to himself, mom loves to read her Bible, um, but she's really struggling. She can't see as well anymore. So I'm going to buy a specially trained parrot to recite scriptures to mom. And uh, mom sends a letter back to her kids and she says, Milton, the house you bought for me, it was way too big. Gerald, the car you bought for me, it was way too small. But my dearest Timothy, your simple gift was my favorite. The chicken was delicious. <laughs> we need to hunger for God like that, man. You're so hungry, you'll eat a parrot, okay? Little struggle of an analogy there, but you get the picture, okay? So that was week one. Week two, we talked about how to get our heart right. Week three, we, we talked about how, do we, how we need to get to the secret place to get strength. Last week, we talked about how to lead your family. And today, the title of the message, if you're taking notes, how to change your city. How to change your city. There's a quote I heard from Leonard Ravenhill. It's pretty intense to start us off in the morning, but I love it. Here's what it says. Where is the Lord God of Elijah? We answer where he has always been on the throne. But where are the Elijahs of God? We know Elijah was a man of like passions as we are, but alas, we are not men of like prayer as he was. So context, if this is your first time in church, you're not into the whole Bible thing. Elijah was a prophet, um, and he uh, was in the Old Testament, and God did incredible miracles through him. And in James chapter 5, we read this amazing verse where it says that uh, Elijah was but an ordinary man just like us, but God did miracles through him because of his prayer. The, the quote continues, it says, one praying man stands as a majority with God. Let's not pass over that too quick. One man standing with God is a majority. Today, God is bypassing men, not because they are too ignorant, but because they are too self-sufficient. Brethren, our abilities are our handicaps and our talents are our stumbling box. Mr. Ravenhill is coming in hot this Sunday morning. He's saying the problem that we have, and I think we have this in our culture, it's not because we're too ignorant, it's because we think we're too strong. We live in a culture that says you need to be self-sufficient, you need to make it your own way, you need to pursue the American dream. If you believe it, you can be it. And yes, those are all great things, and we can talk about those things. But you know what is the biggest thing that attracts God? It is not your strength this morning. It's not how disciplined you are. It's not because of your incredible willpower. The thing that God is most attracted to is desperation and weakness. God loves working through weak and desperate people. 
When we read about revival history, there are times in a culture where people and the culture forgets about God, wants to eliminate God. I believe that's a time we're living in today's culture. And at this moment, what God does is he marks a remnant of people, a small group of people who live in a culture that wants nothing to do with God, but this small group of people still believes and trusts in God. And in his kindness and his love, he does incredible things. He has the ability to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine, where he can have a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit, where the city turns uh, their backs on God, but then they actually turn to God because he uses a group of people to do it. We are in a time and a place where we need a move of God right here in this city. Did you know that a crime is committed once every 22 seconds in the Phoenix area? Once every 22 seconds. We need Jesus in this city. A few months ago, I talked about the businessman's revival in the 1850s in the New York City, one of the greatest revivals in American history. It was so powerful that sailors were sailing from Europe into the harbor in New York City, and before they were even landing where they needed to go, people were coming to know Christ because the Holy Spirit was so tangible in that area, in that space. People didn't even know what was going on. 90% of people came to know Christ before they even stepped inside of a church because the Holy Spirit was moving so powerfully in New York. A modern day equivalent of this would be like this. Imagine at the Phoenix Sky Harbor Airport, we get a call from American Airlines, Delta Airlines, United Airlines, Spirit Airlines. All right, probably won't be Spirit because they'd be delayed, okay? Um, <laughs> But we get a call from all these airlines and they say, we need all the chaplains, all the pastors in Phoenix, because right when we flew in and we landed, people are falling under the conviction of sin and they're wondering what is happening because there is such a tangible move and a tangible presence of God in this city. That is our prayer, is that God would do incredible things right here. We are asking God to pour out his manifest presence right here in this city. Now, some of you, you're like, Josh, you are using terms. I have no idea. This is my first time at church. In fact, the reason I don't go to church is because people talk about weird things like this. And I just want to provide a little clarity. The manifest presence of God is when God's love is made so aware to people. You can't leave that church service. You can't, you can't leave that space and not experience God. Every single Saturday night, I pray that the Holy Spirit would be working so powerfully in this place that when you leave, no matter what happens, what you're walking through, you have an experience with God. I want it to go even further, that new people show up at our church, they drive into the parking lot, and instantly they feel something different. They interact with people who have a love and a joy and a peace and a kindness that is contagious because that's what happens when we trust Jesus at his word. We're asking God to open up heaven and see more people come to know Christ. Because when people do that, their marriages change, our families change, our schools change, our neighborhoods change, our workplaces change. And it all starts when God does something radically in your heart this morning. God wants to work in your life. So coming into today, we are all in one of three camps when it comes to our view of this city, when it comes to this valley. Here are the different postures we have. Some of you, you're walking in today, and there's no shame where you're at today. 
Some of you, your posture towards the valley is one of complacency. Here's what this sounds like. You may be a follower of Jesus. You may not be a follower of Jesus, but you're very focused on your own life. You got a lot of stuff going on. Uh, You're living a distracted life. And when it comes to other people coming to know Christ or having an experience with God, it's not really concerned. You're only concerned with yourself. Secondly, um, the second posture is those who are concerned for the valley. You see what's happening in our city, you see what's happening in our nation, and there's cause for concern. And since there's cause for concern, you walk around with this low-grade concern when you're on social media, but you don't know what to do. You're overwhelmed because you want to see change, but you don't know what that looks like for you in your own life. Lastly, there's a posture of a cry for the valley. My prayer is that we would all leave today with this heart. That we would have a cry for our city, asking God to move. You see, the Israelites, uh, they spent 400 years in slavery to, to the Egyptians. And it says that when they cried out to God, the Lord heard their cry and they experienced freedom. So why did God hear that specific cry? Today I want to answer this question. How do we cry out to God so he answers? How do we cry out to God so he answers? And I wanted to give you the answers before we even walk through all of them. So if you're taking notes, you can write these down. Uh, But we're going to walk through these three points today. If you want to cry out to God in such a way that he answers, we need to place ourselves before God with intimacy with God. We need to place ourselves on the wall, which is going to be based on the passage we're talking about. This is love for the city. And we need to place ourselves on the behalf of others through intercession. Whenever you start talking about prayer when you're giving a sermon, the prayer warriors are are thinking, yes! Like the prayer warriors, you could talk about prayer, give a message about prayer every single week, and every week they would be fired up. But the vast majority of the people in the room, they may be interested in prayer, but a lot of us walk around with this inner shame because we think about our prayer life and we're like, it's not good enough. It's not where it's supposed to be. And wherever you're at today, this morning is an invitation for all of us to grow in connecting and knowing God in a deeper way. Today we're going to be walking through a passage um, written by Isaiah, and Isaiah was a prophet. And in this passage, Isaiah is writing to Jerusalem, which was a functional city, but it was a spiritually corrupt city. There was a group of people in Jerusalem, although it was a remnant, it was a small group of people, who believed that God was still going to work, but they were starting to feel less and less hope. So Isaiah uh, was meant to come up here and, and to provide hope for them and a reminder that God will not fail on his promises. And here's what it says. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not be quiet. Until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a burning torch. The nations shall see your righteousness and all the king's your glory, and you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give. Today, you may be walking in here feeling down. You may be feeling shame, but I want this verse also to be encouragement, not just for us corporately, but for you individually. You see, we serve a God that although you may walk in here feeling shame, you serve a God who wants to give you a new name this morning. You don't have to walk in with the names that you've held on to in your past. You can walk in here and say, I used to be this way, but I'm a different way now 
because of what God has done in my life. You see, God has the ability to change you through your love and through his love and through his power. You can be a different person today. Others can look at you and say, that person is different than they used to be. And it's not because of your willpower. It's not because of how awesome you are. It's because of the spirit of the living God. You don't have to be who you used to be. God is speaking this over a group of people. He's speaking this over the city of Jerusalem. And I believe that God is speaking this over you this morning. And he's speaking this over our city. Isaiah chapter 62, it continues. It says, you shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. You shall no more be termed forsaken and your land shall no more be termed desolate. But you shall be called, my delight is in her and your land married. For the Lord delights in you and your land shall be married. What were they described before? What were the names that they were holding on to? Forsaken and uh, desolate. This is the names they were holding on to. The reason? They experienced loss and war and they felt abandoned. And some of you, you feel the exact same way this morning. You're holding on to names from your past. What are the names you're holding on to today? What, What are you holding on to? Maybe it's failure, cheater, you'll never measure up. What are the negative names of your past that you're holding on to? I want to remind you today. God wants to give you a new name. God does not look at you that way once you make a decision to follow Jesus. He delights in you. He says you are chosen. You are new. He wants to give you a new name. The problem is many of you are hearing the sounds that are coming out of my voice right now and you believe it or maybe you know it cognitively, but you don't believe it in your heart because if you believed it in your heart, your actions would be different. Your life would be different. Your stress would be different. Your worry would be different. Your anxiety would be different if you took heart to what God actually believes about you. So how do you cry out? So God answers. How do you experience the joy of a new name? We have to take our place before God through intimacy with God. Your level of intimacy with God will determine whether you experience the joy of a new name. If you believe that God hates you, if you believe that God is disappointed with you, if you believe that God is done with you, you will not experience the joy of the name that God has given you this morning. A.W. Towser says this, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Do you believe that to be true today? Do you believe that when I say God and what shows up in your brain is more important than your kids, is more important than your family, is more important than your job, It's the most important thing about you. Doesn't mean those things aren't important. But when I say, God, what comes into your brain, that is the most important thing about you because your thoughts are going to lead to your actions and your actions are going to lead to what you live out in your life. I know for me personally, I know cognitively that God loves me. I can read the Bible. I can come up here and I can preach it. But during the week, I can get back into a performance-based relationship with God. Where it sounds like this, if I just preach better, God will love me more. If more people come to know Jesus, then, then God will love me more. If I'm, just, if I'm just this, then God will love me more. And that is not true. 
I want to tell and declare to you this morning, it doesn't matter what you're doing right now, doesn't matter what you did last night, doesn't matter what you do tomorrow. Your actions will never hinder God's love for you. God cannot love you any more or any less than he does right now. God loves you. He's with you. He's for you. How do we experience this? How do I not just know this, but I I know it in my heart? If you want to experience this, one way that you can grow in your intimacy with God is you need to learn to make room. And I will tell you, this is one of the hardest things to do in today's society. Because how do you have to do this? You have to prevent busyness from distracting you from God. And it is so easy to get busy. It's, there are so many distractions that are just destined for our attention, and we have to prevent them. If you don't have time for God, you can't connect with God. And when we can't connect with God and you hear a message, here's the temptation. This is what you start saying. I got to pray more. I got to read my Bible more. I got to get more discipline. I need to give more. I need to serve more. All of those things are good things. But here's the problem. When that becomes the destination, that turns into legalism, not actually a relationship with God. The goal is a relationship with God. Spiritual disciplines, maybe you've heard that term before. Spiritual disciplines are reading our Bible, prayer, giving, serving. Spiritual disciplines are not the destination. Some of you, you need to hear that again. Your spiritual disciplines are not the destination. They are a vehicle to the destination. They are a vehicle to God. Let me give you an example. Imagine you took a trip to Disneyland And you come back to church next week, and I look at you, and I say, how was Disneyland? And you look back, and this is what you tell me. Oh, Josh, the drive was so good. We stopped at Quartzsite, Arizona. It was so scenic. We got gas. We got snacks. Man, we got nerd clusters, Lay's chips, candy corn. Nobody eats candy corn. It was good. Like, it was good. And the drive was great. We we listened to great podcasts. Taylor Swift music on point. The drive was amazing. And then you stopped talking. I said, that's really awesome. But how was Disneyland? Well, we got to the parking lot and we turned around and we went home. I would look at you like you're crazy. Why? Because the destination was not driving to Disneyland. The destination was going into Disneyland, having a great time with your family, and spending far too much money. That was the destination. You see, spiritual disciplines are not the destination. They are the vehicle to the destination, which is God. That is the destination. Every time you show up, I don't want you just to read your Bible or do I want you to know God in a deeper way. I want you to experience God in a deeper way. That is my prayer for all of us. I don't read my Bible just to read my Bible for a streak on the YouVersion app. I want to know God. I don't just pray so God will do things for me. I want to know God. I don't just worship because I'm supposed to do it. I want to know God. I don't just give because it's obedience. I want to give to see God as my provider. I want to know God. Some of you have grown up your entire life, and the reason you struggle is because you view church as just this religion of the things that you're supposed to do. Following Jesus is so much bigger than that. 
Following Jesus is about being in his presence. It's about desiring to be with him above all things. Heaven is going to be a time where we get to experience eternity with God. But God wants to bring some heaven to earth. How does he do that? It's by experiencing his presence. In scripture, it says, better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. Man, when you get a taste of God's presence, you never want to leave. That's the type of church I want to be. That's the type of Christians God calls us to be. I want God. That's what I want. I want Jesus. Isaiah chapter 62, verse 5. Continues. It says, for as a young man marries a young woman, so your, sh- so your sons marry you, and as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. Um, I grew up in Toledo, Ohio, okay? And uh, Toledo gets a bad rap. Some of you think it gets a deserved rap because um, you've been there before. Um, but I, when I grew up there, I would complain. I'm guilty of complaining about the city I grew up in. And the more I've been thinking about it is it doesn't matter where you live. Everybody complains about the place that they grew up in. You know what I mean? Like in Toledo, it's, you know, people say, well, you know, it's really cheap to live there, but it's cloudy. In Phoenix, it's, you know, it's really sunny there, but it's so hot. San Diego, it's beautiful, but it's crazy pricey. Like wherever you live, we complain about it. Why do I bring this up? Proverbs 16, 9 says, the heart of man plans his ways, but the Lord establishes his steps. Wherever you are placed right now, God wants to use you to make a difference. Unfortunately, if you're like me, I'm so focused on where I'm supposed to go next that I forget that God wants to use me now. God wants to use you now no matter what you're facing, no matter if you don't like the place you're in or not. God wants to use you. So how do we cry out to God so he answers? We need to take our place on the wall. So in Isaiah, the wall represents the place of uh, a place where you would stand to be able to protect your city. And the way you protect your city was by loving your city. God wants a group of Christians who are going to love their city. God wants a group of Christians who are going to love their neighborhoods, who are going to love the people they surround themselves with. God has created you on purpose and for a purpose, and I believe that the church would be far more effective if we focus on what God wants to do in us now. Like, focus on now. Focus on what God wants to do in your job now. I know some of you, you're thinking, "I, I don't love it here. I don't love my job. I don't love my neighborhood. Hey, God still wants to use you now. And what I love about God, he's great at multitasking. He can prepare you for what he wants to do through you later while still making an eternal impact through your story now. I had a conversation, it was probably three or four months ago with someone, um, and she's an EMT, and whenever someone would get into her ambulance, um, she asked me the question, "I, I really want to be focused on how I can love people, and I want to live out my purpose in my job. And obviously, I need to take care of people well, but I get like three to four, five minutes with these people. I'm wondering, what are questions? How can I uh, just engage and have spiritual conversations during that time, and obviously taking care of them? And when she asked that question, I was like, oh my goodness, what a beautiful question. What a beautiful question from someone who says, I understand that God has placed me right here for this purpose, and I want to use it to make a difference. God wants to use you to make a difference no matter where you are. 
I heard another story of a woman. Um, she lives in a neighborhood. She knows all the people in her neighborhood. And her family would pray over those names once a week and just ask God to work in their life. God wants to use you to make a difference. How does God answer our prayers? God loves when our prayers are the heartbeat of his heart, which are people. God wants to make a difference in people. Let's be praying for people. The verse continues. It says, On your walls, O Jerusalem, I've set watchmen all the days and all the nights. They never shall be silent. You who put the Lord in remembrance, take no rest and give him no rest until he establishes Jerusalem and makes it a praise in the earth. If we're going to cry out to God so he answers, the last key is we need to take our place on behalf of others through intercession. Now, let me give you the definition of intercession. Intercession is standing in the gap for other people. Petition is praying for yourself. Intercession is praying for others. Frederick Douglass said this. He said, a man who lives unto himself does not live at all. If your life is only about you, you are not living the life that God wants you to live. We have to live for others. Martin Luther said, prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance, but laying a hold of his willingness. God wants to work. God wants to move. God wants to answer your prayers. The question is, are we praying and are we persistent in prayer? So how do you intercede for others? The first thing is we need to develop compassion, okay? In scripture, it says that Jesus was moved with compassion when he saw people. In fact, in November, we talked about our vision for 2024 is we want to be a church that is marked with compassion. We want to be moved with compassion for the people in our lives and the people of this city. The way Jesus did that is he said, you need to pray for your enemies, which is crazy. Why does he say that? It's really hard to hate people you're praying for. Mother Teresa was asked once, you love people whom others consider human debris. What's your secret? She said, I pray. You struggling with some relationships? Pray. Is there some people you're really having a hard time loving? Pray. If we're going to learn to intercede for others, we also need to learn to contend. We need to learn to contend. In fact, I got two volunteers I need to come up here. Marcos and, and Chad, can you come up here? I want to give this through a little bit of an illustration, all right? Um, so we got Marcos and Chad. You can give them a round of applause for being our, there you go, you're looking good. All right, Marcos, I'm going to have you stand right here, right here, right here. All right, stand right there. Chad, I'm going to have you stand here. You can face this way. So Chad, um, since Chad's an Ohio State fan, um, he's going to, since Chad's an Ohio State fan, he's going to represent the devil, okay? I'm a Michigan fan if this is your first time, okay? And uh, Marcos is going to represent every single person in this room, okay? Marcos is all of you. Now, now here's what intercession doesn't look like, okay? So we got the enemy who wants to work. He wants to move. He wants to distract you. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy your life, okay? So Chad, I want you to just go ahead and walk up, take over Marcos, okay? So like, obviously, nothing's happening here. Chad has a free look at Marcos. So Chad, can you take a step back? Here's what intercession is. Intercession is when a group of people step up for other people. So when the enemy starts trying to work or different things are happening in the lives of the people, even though Marcos can't see what's happening, there's someone on his behalf who's protecting him through his prayers, okay? So here's what intercession is. Intercession is, is me standing here and saying, all right, enemy, you can try to work, but man, I've been working out lately, if you haven't noticed, just saying. Um, 
but you can keep trying, but you're not getting to my marriage. You're not getting to my kids. No, 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 you're not getting to this city. Man, can we be a group of people who says, I'm going to stand in the gap for this city. I'm gonna stand in the gap for my marriage. I'm gonna stand in the gap for my kids because God uses prayer. And I believe that God wants to use our church. And the way he's going to use our church is when we stand in the gap for other people. So can we be those people today? That's what God wants to do in us and through us. Thank you for stepping up here and being part of our analogy. You see, when we contend for others, contending is not complaining. Contending is calling upon the authority of God. Can I encourage you for a moment, whether you're contending for others or you're contending for yourself, you can lay a hold to the authority of God this morning. Here's what this can sound like. Maybe you're struggling with paying rent today. Instead of complaining about not paying rent, you need to lay a hold of authority of God. You know what God says? God promises to be your provider. So when I pray, I'm not complaining about rent. I'm saying, God, you're my provider. God, you promised to take care of me. God, I know you're not a liar, so I'm taking a hold of this promise. And God, it's on you. It's not on me right now. God, I need you. Lay a hold of his authority. Find every promise in scripture that you have. And the key to a great prayer life is praying God's word. God, you promise that this situation, you say, God, God, in your word, you say, you work all things together to the good of those who love you. God, I love you. This situation is not good. I'm laying a hold of that this morning. God, you promise that you can give me peace. I have anxiety right now. God, I'm holding on to this this morning that you are the giver of peace. You see, there are certain things that you can read about and you can have all the information about, but until you do it, it doesn't matter. Let me give you an example. You could read every single book about nutrition, but if you eat fast food every single day, it doesn't matter. You could read every single book about working out, but if you never go to the gym, it doesn't matter. You could read every single book about prayer, but until you pray, you're missing out on experiencing what God wants to do in you and through you. This is what our world needs. When I look at our world today, mental mental health issues are rising, students are struggling, there's increasing political division, and we need Christians who will step up and pray. We are in a season of urgency in our city in this world. And the clock determines the play. The clock determines the play. Let me give you an example. Imagine you're a quarterback and you're in the Super Bowl, okay? You're down seven points. You have 80 yards to tie the game and there are 45 seconds left on the clock. Here's what you're not going to do. You're not going to huddle up and you're not going to run the ball. You are going to play with urgency and you are going to throw the ball deep. The clock determines the play. We don't need a group of Christians who are going to sit in a holy huddle who are only focused on themselves and not people who are far from God. God is looking for a church and a group of people who will step up and say, God, we want you to move. We're desperate for you to move. We are living in a state of urgency because there is nothing more important than you. So we're going to be the type of Christians who live our life focused on that mission and we will 
will do it until our last breath on earth because there's nothing more important. That's what God wants. That's the type of people we're called to be. We don't need your half-hearted devotion. Let's draw a line in the sand today that says it will be different here. It will be different for our kids. It will be different for our grandkids. We will build a church for the next generation and the generation after that. We will tell them of the wonderful deeds of God. It will be different right here in this valley. And I'm just crazy enough to believe that a group of 200 people can change the city. I really believe it. If God, if Jesus did it with 12 disciples and we're still meeting today, I believe that God wants to do it. The question is, will we be those people? Will we be crazy enough to believe that God wants to work literally in and through you? He wants to do it. So let's go back to the question. Leonard Ravenhill asked, where is the Lord God of Elijah? We answer, where he has always been on the throne. But where are the Elijahs of God? We know Elijah was a man of like passions as we are, but alas, we are not men of like prayer as he was. One praying man stands as a majority with God. Imagine what hundreds standing with God could do. Today, God is bypassing men, not because they are too ignorant, but because they are too self-sufficient. God, we repent of our self-sufficiency this morning. It is all about you. We are weak and we are desperate for you to move. Brethren, our abilities are our handicaps, our talents are stumbling blocks. God, we surrender everything to you. We give you all of it today and we believe that you want to move. The church in the Western world has tried so many things. New leadership tactics, new books, new strategies. What if we try hunger and desperation for God through petition and intercession? What if we try that? What if we say, God, it's on you, we're believing it, and we know that you want to move. The goal is not to build the best church a bunch of talented people can build. That's not what we're here to do. The goal is to let God build his church through people who are desperate for him. So will you be this person? I don't know what your past is. I don't know what you're walking through, but I'm telling you, one person stands as a majority with God. If we do this together, God will move. It is the cry of my heart. The deepest cry of my heart is to be part of a move of God that can only be defined by him. It cannot be defined by me. It can't be defined by our team. It is literally defined by God that people look at our church and just say, that's a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. That's what it is. It's a group of people who are desperate for him. They understand they're not the greatest. They don't take themselves seriously at all, but they take God seriously. I want to finish with a story um, from Pastor Sam Gibson. He said there was a Chinese evangelist who spent decades leading thousands to the Lord. But now he was bedridden at the end of his life. A young minister came to speak to him. And the minister asked, the young minister asked, do you feel hopeless and useless because you can't go out and evangelize? The old man simply smiled and looked back at him and he said, young man, you don't know that when I lie on my bed and I pray in this little room, all of China shakes. When you pray, your whispers before the Lord creates wakes in this world. And God wants to use you.
So if you've never made a decision to follow Jesus, today is your day to do that. If you've been living a life where you're following Jesus and maybe you've been complacent when it comes to other people, it's time to have a cry for the valley. If you've been living concerned but you're not sure what to do, get plugged in and pray and ask God to work and God will move in this city. Would you go ahead and take a moment, stand to your feet. I wanna pray for all of us that we would have this prayer and we would have this heartbeat right now. And just a sign of surrender today, um, I'm just gonna get on my knees. You don't have to if you don't want to, but for me, I just feel like God moves when we're desperate. He moves when we're hungry. God, we want you to move today. God, our kids need you. This world needs you. God, this city literally needs you. There's nothing more important than a relationship with Jesus. We don't want any more people to perish because they don't know you. God, I don't want any more people having to live lives of unneeded stress and anxiety and worry because they're not following you. God, we need you. God, in a sign of surrender this morning, we just lift up our hands and we tell you, we need you today, God. God, we need your presence. We need your goodness. We need your faithfulness. We need your provision. We need your blessing. We need your influence. We need your protection. This isn't about us, Lord. It's about you. God, you have the ability to work. You promise that you will move. You promise that you can do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. So God, we allay hold of that promise this morning, believing that you're going to work, believing that you're going to move. God, I pray for children who are far from you today, God, that they would experience the presence of the Holy Spirit in their life. God, I pray for bosses and colleagues and neighbors and family members who are not following you. God, I pray that they would show up here, that they would be saved and that they would be baptized. God, I pray that all of us would live out our purpose wherever we are because there's nothing more important than you. God, we need your presence today. So Lord, we give you all the glory. We give you all the honor. And God, we give you all the praise. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, what's up, everyone? My name is Jess. Thank you so much for tuning in this week. We're so glad to have you. And hey, if you made a first-time decision to follow Jesus today, we are so excited for you. It is the best decision that you will ever make. I wanna encourage you to go to our website, purposearizona.com slash connect card, and you'll see a connect card on the website. Go ahead and fill that out. It gives us a little bit of information about you and helps us come alongside you and support you as you start this journey. Also, if you just wanna connect with our church or if you wanna invest financially in what God is doing here in the Valley, all of the information is on the website, purposearizona.com. And lastly, we meet in person every Sunday at 10 a.m. at Desert Edge High School, and we'd love for you to join us. Be sure to follow us on social media for any other updates. Thanks for tuning in. See you next week.